can't expect that everyone is as passionate about racing as we are. We can't expect that everyone is able to hear the silent call of the sea at 5am. Not everyone possesses the ability to smell the difference between rich and lean. Nor the ear to differentiate the bark of two cylinders from four. It would not be fair of us to assume that the world understands the yearning and overwhelming compulsion that we have to push through pain, angst, frustration and failure. Some people might not understand the desire to test physical limits, conquer fear or to tangle with the forces of gravity and physics. but we don't make product for them. We look to the future, but embrace our past. We study, we analyze, race on Sunday so we can innovate on Monday we exercise trial and error religiously through our commitment to the pursuit of perfection learn how to make products for the people that are capable of dedicating everything to sport whether there is a championship involved or not Alpine stars, one goal, one vision.
That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, Viral Goggle Brand, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Fly Racing Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Moto Ice Wrap, Justified Cultures, and Traction MX Seat Covers. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got none other than Blake Wharton. Blake, how's it going? How's it going? I'm doing well, thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much once again for uh, giving me some time to uh, pick your brain about all things uh, two wheels, motocross, and uh, also busy week for you because uh, you're on just on the heels of a, a great performance that you did with uh, with Steve Mathis over at the Falpa Mech Show. So uh, you're a busy guy on the radio this weekend or this week. Yeah, thank. Yeah, thanks. It's it's always a good time to talk moto, and and I enjoy doing the podcast with you guys. So it's good to be back. For sure, and uh, this is your—you were a repeat offender. I believe this is your third time on the the Big MX Radio podcast show, and always good feedback, always good uh, reviews when uh, when fans reach out and say that uh, basically they really appreciate your time and, and the, the words that you you have for us, thinking outside the box, which is uh, a little—it's uh, kind of uh, irregular uh, for for the motocross industry, which is always appreciated. Um, before we get into uh, some some questions and whatnot, let's catch up a little bit with Blake Ward. And what have you got on the uh, on the skillet lately? What are on the burners? Because uh, you always have uh, 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 quite quite the uh, uh, a lot of irons in the fire as far as uh, what you're into and what you got going on, which is uh, it, it was always encouraging to hear. Yeah, a lot of irons in the fire. It keeps me busy and and it keeps me thinking. Um, right now, I'm, I've been doing some schools in uh, Arizona with Sean Kalos. Uh, Sean Kalos is. Arizona legend raced in the 80s and 90s and did supercross and motocross and did some MXGPs as well. So I've had a good time um, training some guys with him. We've got a school this uh, this Sunday and then, and then another one um, the following weekend. So doing that and staying busy with Pulp, like you said, and I've been watching the races, of course, and enjoying um, supercross and enjoyed Detroit with some pretty fantastic racing, perhaps the most exciting East Coast main event uh, thus far. And so I'm looking to... Uh, the guy's getting to uh, St. Louis. St. Louis was a, a good race. My first race win there. So there that's it for now, but always looking for a new project in regards to moto. Absolutely, and you, you've definitely pushed the boundaries of uh, of way the way we perceive and the way we think about motocross as a sport globally. And uh, you seem to be on a mission to continue to do so. Um, what kind of uh, um, feedback or what kind of um, I was trying to articulate myself after uh, talking for an hour and seventeen minutes with you, um, <laughs> but uh, I, like, what kind of enjoyment do you get out of these these 
schools that you've done and um and, and kind of like the like I love teaching. I, I, I coached freestyle skiing for three years uh, after I was done as an athlete and I absolutely loved seeing that aha moment in an athlete's eyes when you're trying to explain something, there's a technique that needs to be put in place and they finally get it. Things click and uh maybe sure. take that take me through that a little bit because uh as a as a educator uh of a sport of motocross it's uh, even more rewarding. No, you're, you're right. That's what it's all all about, seeing progression in the guys you're working with. Um, sometimes it's hard to see huge gains in, in one day. You know, as we know, you don't become a Supercross professional overnight. But it's the little gains that you can see working with a, you know, a, a rider, um, you know, on the oval drill and the circle drill, on a lot of the things that I grew up doing. And, um you know, working with Sean, he brings a unique perspective. I've been fortunate to work with a lot of different trainers over the years when I was racing. And even, you know, since I've not been racing, worked with a lot of good guys, um, got to know some different different techniques and different perspectives. But uh, ultimately, try to pass that along and, and see if we can, you know, make improvements in, in an aspiring professional's life or in his career, I guess, in this case. Right on. Well, do you see a little bit of, uh, or maybe let's let's turn that back to uh, you. Must have received a lot of instruction throughout your career to cultivate the skills that you had. Who are some of the uh, the best uh, some of the, the the best instructors that you had, and who are some of the guys that uh, maybe you didn't like? They maybe they they weren't bad, but you just didn't get as much from. Sure. Well, that's a great question. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I've learned a lot. From the different, the, from the many different trainers I've had over the years, and and I can honestly say I've learned something from everyone. There was always something that you could pick up, and always something to learn. I mean, a lot of these these different trainers I worked with have different opinions, but at the same time, a lot of the guys believe in a similar principle. You know, you gas when you land, and you gas on the takeoff. There's a lot of basic principles. You know, things you do and things you don't do. Um, but I've had the chance of uh, of working with you know, Sebastian Tortelli, um, you know, Ricky Johnson, Gary Bailey, and uh, Donnie Hansen, and Ronnie Titchener, and Shannon Nyday, um, a lot of different guys uh, I've got a chance working with. I actually grew up on, you know, Gary Semick's um, training uh, VHSs back then, no DVDs nice. back then. Um, and so hours and hours and hours of, of time spent watching those. And so a lot of a lot of different guys, a lot of different perspectives, and I'm honestly I'm sure I left out a few. Um, but that's what I found, you know, always something that could be learned. A lot of uh, a lot of you know, everyone is not built the same and so you've got guys that are tall and you've got guys that are short. Um and so you always have different different techniques and technology advances on bikes and so things kinda kinda change and you know, and that's sort of evolving. But a lot of the the basic principles, I'd say, stay the same. Fair enough. So, do do you prefer to uh, work with uh, young athletes uh, or or more mature athletes? Like uh, I'm 28 years old, and then maybe someone around my age, or um, is it like the the grassroots level that you appreciate the most? Like uh, get basically like laying those that laying that foundation for uh, for good basics and good fundamentals uh, going going through their career. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I would say um working with the guys that are maybe a little more advanced um you know and and focusing on those details, those minute minute details that make up the difference between 
you know, a uh, maybe a tenth place and say a third place. Um, I'd like to work with those guys, and whether that's on the Supercross track or on the oval drill, there's always something that can learn. You can learn, but at the same time, it's great working with young riders and people maybe who are just getting into the sport. I mean, that's the grassroots, and that's where that's really where this sport is is growing and and needs to continue to grow. There you go. Um, well, let's let's dive into some questions that I had for you. Kind of like thought of some of the things that I might ask you to uh, kind of expand sure. your thoughts on. And uh, the first thing that uh, obviously, if you are a fan of Supercross, and I know you you attended many many races all the way up to Dallas, and then uh, that was the last time you attended one in person. But uh, glued to the to the uh, the TV on Saturday nights, and then of course watching them again during the week to kind of uh, uh, catch things you may have missed. Um, if you are a, a, one of those fans like that, you are deep into this championship that has now tightened itself up to seven points. If you are Ryan Dungey, who uh, he still carries that number one, he will continue to do so throughout the rest of this season. He he also continues to carry the red plate, which he's carried since round three in Anaheim too. Um, if you're Ryan Dungey and you're like seeing your your points slip away every single weekend, what are you doing during the week to uh, to to ba- do whatever you can to try and sway momentum sure. going back the other way? Well, I would say, um, you know, taking a page out of Eli Tomac's book. And, you know, from what I've heard and what I've seen out of those guys at Kawasaki is worry about race wins, you know, and focus focus on each main event. And, and before you know it, you might be in the points lead or you might have closed the gap, and that's what they've done. Uh, that's easier said than done, right? And this is this is not Dungey's first rodeo, so he's been in this position position before or in in some fashion. Um, but you know, there's still a lot of racing left left to go, and I'd say that no one is above a bad round. You know, and any one of these guys, if they have a bad round, I think that could totally change um, the uh, the the end result of this series. But a lot of racing left to go, and so you can you can be sure I'll be tuned into the television this weekend and watching it um and making sure i catch every detail no kidding uh speaking specifically of uh Detroit. We noticed, uh, especially in the, uh, in the in the 250 class, a tooth and nail battle between uh, the top four guys, which uh, I believe all four at some point uh, had had the lead, which is not something we've seen. In fact, in the first two races of the year, we had uh, basically one person led every single lap in both classes, and uh, throughout, and I, I think at one point we had uh, like maybe only three guys in the whole in all of uh, motocross and supercross. Um, two 250s and 450s that even led laps, uh, like only maybe even three or four rounds into this thing. But uh, that race, super competitive. Did what? What did it come down to? Did it come down to the mistakes the riders were making because of the soil, or is it that the 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 competition is that close in the 250 East right now? Well, I, I definitely think that the competition is that stacked and close on, on the East Coast re- uh, in the East Coast region. Um, you know, first through 10th, a lot of fast guys, and obviously a lot of guys can win. Um, that's not something you see every season, so it's sort of a privilege this year on the East Coast that we could, we could witness this sort of racing. Um, in, in, in Detroit, I would say a lot of it came down to mistakes. You know, Detroit was, I, I would describe it as a West Coast round on the East Coast. It was certainly the slickest race that they, those guys have seen so far. And so we saw some mistakes, you know, losing the front, losing the rear, little mistakes. Um, but like you said, we saw four different race uh, leaders 
and so it's certainly exciting. Good to see, uh, good to see that mix up. But you know, and that's that series still has uh, some time to go too. And I'd say that the 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 best racing is yet to come. I'll just put it that way. Fair enough. Well, it's getting tight. I had uh, Dave Dave Feeney, uh, Zach Osborne's mechanic, on on Tuesday, and uh, he seemed pretty confident that his guy will be able to uh, remount up and, and make a charge towards the front of the pack. But regardless, we now have four different guys that have uh, have won out of five races, and that's pretty cool. Uh, six races, six races, I believe, six races. Uh, either way, it's it's been extremely entertaining to see, and uh, like the the parody in that class. Is, is absolutely awesome. Um, I, I, I turn the page over to the 450 class where we've seen a lot of up and down results throughout that uh, that fifth through 15th place all the way through the season. Some guys have extremely hot nights. Some guys are, you're, you're kind of scratching their head of, as to whether or not they're going to finish this race on the lead lap. Um, who, who has kind of stuck out to you as to be most consistent or maybe most surprising uh, throughout this season? Because um, we, we've seen some really good performances from some guys and some not so great performances, uh, sometimes only weeks apart. Yeah, and I don't know about surprising, but I would say – uh, some consistent good rides have been from Sealy, and which we've seen before, you know. But and as well as Muskin, those guys have been pretty consistent, and they've landed on the podium, and they've definitely got some good uh, results. Obviously, Muskin won around, I believe, it's Dallas. Um, so those guys have have been there; they've been close, um, if not there, uh, and consistent. Um, several other riders have also been impressive, but they're sort of evading me at the moment. But you know, like you said, from 5th to 15th, it's sort of like musical chairs. You don't really know who's going to finish where. I've seen one of those guys in in that mix finish 15th, and the next weekend I've seen him finish 5th. Um, I know Baggett's had some good rides, too, and, and as well as Millsap. So I've seen some, some KTM guys have some good rides, some good charges, especially at um, Detroit. Um, yeah, that's my opinion on that one. For sure, like I, I, Millsap sticks out to me, and like for a guy who uh, came into the season, admittedly at the first first press press conference was uh, not feeling the the best. He was sick, he was injured, and even still to the, like now in nursing uh, a, a bit of an injury. This last weekend in Detroit, uh, it, either uh, Ryan Dungey really wasn't feeling it, or uh, Davy Millsaps was on a completely different level because for. For basically 19 minutes, he went toe to toe with the champ and let him. Uh, and th- that was we saw passing in the previous main event. So there was there was opportunities for passing. Davy Millsaps was just that good for uh, for that main event, and that really surprised me. That's not something you've seen from him for uh, for since 2013. So uh, that was exciting to see. And uh, I guess you guys would have been teammates that year, yes? No? Yeah, 2013. Um, I think uh, to answer your question, sometimes where. One guy maybe is a little bit down or not totally 100%. Another guy can step up. And I think that's what happened. I don't think Dungey was. We all know that he, that wasn't his strongest race. Um, and, and, but that, that presented an opportunity to Davey to step up. And, and so he did. And so once Dungey, he couldn't get him, you know, right away. And sometimes the rider who's trying to pass will settle into a groove and just so happened to settle into Davey's pace, which seems elevated. Um, and definitely, definitely looked more like 2013 David Millsaps, which we all know he's capable of. We just, you know, hadn't seen it for a little while. 2013 was that the uh, the 956 or was that 13? No, that was 13. 2013 for 13. I mean, I just had to do it. 
Of course, yeah. And like, it, honestly, I, I actually I remember you guys talking about uh, uh, Sebastian Tortelli. He actually wore, rode that number for an entire season in, uh, I believe it was 2001. On That's Honda, right. and Act- then switched to, uh, to to Suzuki in 2002, and uh, was like, "Screw this number! I'm off of this program." Uh, but uh, nevertheless, bold move to go to 13, and uh, like I like honestly like, or is it that much of a bold move? Because it's it's really just ink on uh, on the, the the graphic on the front of your plate that uh, lets us know who, uh, what what your number is. Well, I think it is what you give it. Right, and at the end of the night, it is ink on a on some some adhesive, and then you stick it onto <laughs> a uh, plastic. Yeah, right? I mean that's all it is. But you know, it's um, something that some people aren't super comfortable with. I like to challenge that status quo a little bit. Definitely, Sebastian ran it, and in um, back in the day, and then he went to 103, and then I, I believe Heath Voss had run the number and had that's a right. successful long career. Rick Johnson, we have seen. Rick Johnson, and so you know the the numbers got a little swag, and you either you either gravitate gravitate toward it or you don't. I believe my option that year was like nineteen or thirteen because there was such a big gap there, and no one wanted the number, and so I was like, well, hey, you know, I'll get it. And uh, then the following year, I believe I missed um, the permanent number by a few points. So Fair that's enough. sort of my story with thirteen. Yeah. It was like t- totally off topic. Uh, like I asked one time to Steve Lampson why that no one you know, like as soon as he he uh, quit racing, I believe the last year that he carried six was uh, 2007 when he rode with that number in uh, at Hangtown for one particular race. Uh, yeah, why I'm no one pick, That's right. Yeah, no one picked that picked that number up. Why was that? Was like he, he's like he's like you'll never believe you'll never believe why I told you. I'm like why no one picked it up or reasons why people said that they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't pick it up. I'm like what's that? He goes there's there's three number sixes on the bike. And I was like you're joking. And he's like yeah. Well, wow. With the three sixes on the bike, that is kind of a taboo number. And I was like you, like sure. that's you gotta be kidding me! So we're going revelations like, now, right? Exactly. So like, I it totally blew me away that someone that would even come across someone's mind is that uh, it's it's a it's a, not a number that to be desired. Um, I know uh, Brock Lever took that number to uh, uh, outdoor and indoor championships in 1985. So uh, six has got some swagger. Uh, Thirteen has some swagger, uh, regardless of how you cut it. Uh, and uh, I might, I, I might also say that the number 95 looks pretty good on my bike. So uh, regardless of how, what number you want, um, it's it's all good. Actually, that was one of the things that I wanted to ask you. That uh, we are we are. In in talks of of getting a program going for 2018. Uh, if so, if, if you line up on a, on a on a line for a Supercross in 2018, what number would you be? Well, that's a great question. I would, I, I think I would be my uh, original number, which was uh, my amateur number, which was 731, which is no 731. Oh, 31. Actually, sorry, which is my birthday. Right, but when I when I turned pro in um, 2008, I had to go to 721. So if you watch Millville, my first year, right. it was 721. But I believe uh, Steve Roman had um, 731 Bastard. and has had it since then. Yeah, he got it before me. I believe he's a few years older than me. 
but I would like to run, uh, you know, 731. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, uh, I, I would hope that you would get that because that is how uh, many of us who have been a, a fan for a long period of time knew you and uh, like absolutely terrorizing the uh, the amateur ranks before turning pro. I remember uh, the years that you turned like the, the it was about like eighteen months to about two years to eighteen months before you turned pro. Uh, Blake Wharton was the hottest thing since sliced bread like it was like you'd, you'd go to every single race and and moto playground would be covering it or whoever or west williams would be videoing and it was just all blake all the time two strokes four strokes you name it all these types of classes and you're an absolute whiz kid on the bike and uh i think the, to get to get that flowing back would be would be a cool thing because uh like i've said before the more uh, sport of motocross is good and the, it's even better when you're in it oh amateur racing is something special that's for sure i think a lot of these guys every pro i'll say it has um some really cool stories from from amateur racing and some really crazy ones too you know a lot of that you know those 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 years were full of victories and trials and troublesome times on on the occasion but ultimately i think we can look back and say that there were a lot of good times and we remember a lot of good families that we were um you know traveling with and sort of like a a small community um you know eight or nine big races a year we would we would be hanging out uh, you know all week long or all weekend with these people and so we got to know them quite well so a lot of good memories there and and then a number can stick with you you know and if it's your birthday you might as well keep it so that's where that's where we stand with that number no kidding. Well, uh, like my, my yeah. number hasn't even as uh, as no story. Everyone wants to know like why is it ninety five? Or people always want to ask each other why they run different numbers. Ninety five was the sure. last available Tuesday's number in all of Canada when I started racing on eighties, and that's where it's been. Well, there's a story right there. It's sort of like it's like the last Mohican. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, yeah. it was the last one standing, and I got stuck with it. Uh, it, it. I just I don't know. It looks good on the bike, I guess. Uh, I, I don't I don't know to look at anything else on one of my machines. So um, that being said. Um, like you, you like we said, you've always had a lot of irons in the fire. Uh, oh, you're recording in Nashville. You're uh, uh, basically a traveling correspondent for uh, Racer X Illustrated. Um, how do you balance it all? How do you find enough hours in a day to um, pay enough attention to all areas to stay productive in all things? Because I find for myself, I'm laying bricks all day long, and then I, I shower, I hit the gym, and I'm doing this all e- all evening. I couldn't imagine throwing another thing in there uh, to be productive at all i think it would just be a distraction but sure. you seem to handle it all pr- quite well well and i think um different people have different opinions on the matter but if you really break it down at the end of the day um it's all entertainment you know and whether you're racing in front of fifty thousand people or you are playing in front of 50 uh with your guitar and, and your buddies or you're writing in racer x magazine as a traveling correspondent and and you're going to have a readership of ten thousand or thirty thousand or fifty thousand you know it's kind of the same thing at the end of the day, and so I've perceived it that for as that for a long time, and I do enjoy um, writing and and doing the travel abroad stories, and I'm looking forward to getting getting back out there a little, in a, in a few months, going to Mexico for a trip and the Dominican, and I'm always open for ideas, you know, and traveling to different motorcycle communities. I'm very interested in that and watching, you know, motocross grow, you know, abroad and on on a global scale. Um, so I, I definitely those things keep me excited, you know, and having more irons in the fire can be challenging at times, but it also keeps you busy, you know, mentally like a shark. I got to always be moving. 
There you go. Well, uh, if you want something done, ask a busy person. And if that person's busy, ask Blake, uh, Blake Wharton. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's incredible to see someone that can, can take on so much because of the extreme focus it requires to be, uh, as sharp as you are on two wheels. And I don't think you're ever going to lose that speed or the talent or the skill that you've developed over the years, but it's, it's, it's encouraging to see that someone can, uh, diversify themselves the way you have. Um, what, what would you say is the, the, the biggest outlier? of the things that you take on what is this kind of thing that uh maybe like these one of these things is not like the other um what, what are the things that would some, people would be most surprised about things that you take on well i think it might be education you know the fact that i've been going to school off and on since 2012 actually one of my uh, better years in supercross was i was doing you know college online and so i wasn't on campus you know and i wasn't doing it full time but i but I always had it there, and it was sort of uh, something that kept me busy um, after I would ride and after I would train, and I still pursue education. And, you know, I work with the uh, with Andrea Liebert on track, and I, and I work with the UNT Moto Club, and, and I pursue, you know, again, my own education, and I've taken writing classes to it, and, you know, advance my own writing skills and things that I have interest in. I'm currently actually taking a History 1 class, trying to get all the uh, basics out of the way. That way I can sort of pinpoint um you know something and narrow it down a bit as i get closer to uh to that point but yeah education is that thing fair enough man well uh let's let's talk a little bit something that uh is congruent with uh what you have kind of involved with all the things that you've been doing whether on two wheels and that's the fact that uh, when we see you on two wheels it's often uh on uh some maybe some unconventional uh uh motorcycles, whether it be the Ulta, whether it be a TM. Uh, and uh, I, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit on, on how you seem to gravitate to those manufacturers, uh, not opposed to, but just in addition to the, uh, the your, your your traditional big six. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I like, uh, I like the underdog. And so, you know, I think um, we can all appreciate the major uh, OEMs that have done a lot for this sport. But I think there's a lot of other guys out there, a lot of other companies that have a lot to offer really and i think that if more people knew about these companies and sort of the technology that they could bring to the table they would be very interested in them and so i was fortunate to ride with the guys at tm um company has been around for a very long time and it's definitely proven in on many on many different uh platforms you know whether it's supermoto or world gp or enduro um and that's a cool bike those are some really cool guys coming out of italy um and then, yeah, the Alta guys I've gotten to know over the last few months. Uh, I really like the technology that they have, and it's a different perspective that they're bringing to the table. And I think regardless if you're a traditionalist or if you're a little more uh, traditionalist where you're more two-stroke, four-stroke, uh, or you're a little more modern where you're more accepting to the idea of electric, you know, bringing these OEMs and getting these guys involved in the sport is nothing but good. It's good for the, the, the spectator. It's good for the uh the industry and it's good for the privateers. And so I really like, I like to see that, you know, and I like working with some of the guys and I, I, again, I've been fortunate to make relationships over the years with, with these companies. So jumping aboard uh, on top of a, 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 a bike like the TM, whether that be uh, on a supermoto or uh, for, for, for motocross, uh, what are some of the characteristics of, of that particular motorcycle that uh, are a little bit different or, or something that you actually, uh, I wouldn't say prefer, but like we were you surprised about? Yeah, that's uh, 
it's kind of interesting because um, given the region of the world like, since the seventies, like that, that's not a new brand. No, no, you're right. It's been around a long time. I know. I think a lot of these brands have been around a lot longer than most people would would imagine. Um, but you get a sort of a, a different feel, you know. I mean, the Japanese bikes are all a little different, and then they all have some characteristics that are similar. And then I'd say the same is true for the Austrian bikes. You know, the Husky and the KTM are a little different, but they're also a little bit similar. And so they have a certain feel and a certain quality that you can kind of recognize. And I'd say the same is true for the Spanish, Italian, um, French bikes that are sort of in that region of the world. Um, they have some characteristics that are unique to them and, and unique to the environment in which they're made. You know, a lot of supermoto over there a lot of uh, different style of racing, not not as much Supercross, and perhaps that's one of the reasons why you haven't seen some of those brands maybe on the main stage of American Supercross, but, you know, um, that could all change in the next few years. Absolutely. Uh, so um, preparing yourself for uh, being an educator this weekend, is, um, what are some of the, the, the finer points or what were some of the things that you find are most valuable to uh Bit changing a, a rider's lap times. Uh, I know there's everyone's got different flaws in the way that they do things, but what are some of the common things that you find that you're having to fix, or uh, some maybe some things that a lot of riders haven't thought about that gives them that aha moment? Yeah, well, I would say starting with with the um, with the basics and maybe not necessarily focusing on lap times at the beginning. Uh, I think that if you can focus a little more on the technique, a little bit become a little more cognitive to what we're doing. Um, we can fix some problems that might have been plaguing the rider and, and then in turn get the lap time, right? Um, one thing, one thing with pretty much every sport, you know, it's time. It does take a certain amount of time. Uh, if you can go to a one day school and learn something, two or three things to take away and practice on your own, that's fantastic. Um, but to pin it down, it's a little hard to say because I think different riders and different skill sets will determine as to what you want to focus on. Fair enough. Well, if anyone wants uh, to to take you up on these on on a session, they can go do so this weekend, Sunday, April second at uh, ET Moto Park on uh, in in Arizona. And uh, there's two That's different right. sessions. There's the the there's a, a session from nine a.m. till eleven. They're going to work on you guys are going to be working on corners, and then at eleven a.m. you guys are going to do lunch and pro talk. And then there's a second session uh, for for any riders who want to do both. There's uh, um, you guys are going to be working on jumping as well as uh, tech inspection, and uh, if you want to, if either one is sixty dollars. If you want to do both, it's only a hundred bucks. Great value from uh, a former pro from the '90s that uh, can still twist the throttle like no one's business, and a guy like yourself that uh, within this decade has uh, collected some pretty impressive wins on the, on the Supercross stage and uh, continue to go pretty damn fast. Um, I, I, I got to have you up here to do a, a riding school or something like that, man. The uh, uh, the people from Manitoba need to learn from a guy like yourself. Yeah, I'd love to get up there. I mean, I know that Canadian motocross has been pretty great and canadian supercross has been pretty great to me every time i go to the you know every time i would go to toronto some of the best fans up there and i actually had some of my better results so props to the canadian fans and and the motorcycle enthusiasts up there but yeah sean has has come up with a pretty unique uh, format for this weekend so we're excited so yeah if you guys are interested or if you're in the area just direct uh message us and we'll go from there 
Perfect. Well, it sounds like an awesome day, man. Uh, I really appreciate you giving us some, some time to talk some dirt bikes and uh, and, and just run run through uh, just some bounce some ideas off uh, of a few because uh, like if, if there's if there's good questions, Blake uh, Blake Wharton usually has good answers. So uh, I try and do that for you. I really appreciate you giving me the time to uh, to talk a little bit. Where can people fi- follow you a little bit closer and find out? Uh, just kind of like follow your journey just that little bit closer. Yeah, well, you can um, you can follow some of my my stories in Racetrack uh, Illustrated as well as online. We've actually got a new one coming out in a few days, so pretty excited nice. for that. Uh, but as well as on on social media, fortunately, it's it's pretty easy to track someone down these days and to see what they're up Stalk to. You. So definitely, I, I, I yeah, I like to make uh, social media social again. You know, so uh, I'm all about that. So direct message me or reach out to me, and we can keep the conversation going. Otherwise, I'll see you guys at a race here. One of these days soon. Absolutely, and 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 for the for those who uh, don't don't believe Blake, he is actually very good at uh, responding and interacting with his fans and and people who want to reach out to him. So completely, uh, go ahead and do so. So, uh, but Blake, I That's know what you got all get- about. Yeah, you you, you got to get yourself some dinner. You got to uh, be uh, get some nutrition in before this uh, the, the the big weekend this weekend. Uh, doing some training. Really appreciate you giving me some time, man. Uh, final thoughts, and then we'll let you go. Oh no, no! I thank you for the time, and yeah, I'm looking forward to this and the other projects I have. But let's do it again sometime, Brad. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely, always a pleasure, my friend. Don't hang up yet, just yet. But for podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there. Okay.